Pod Boys Productions. You know, I am just fooling. Uh, I am so full of uh, good humor. All right. Well, it's your boy, Padru, over here. And it's summertime, I guess. Technically not quite. We're, we're on the cusp of, like, the official summer here on a Brooklyn Rebound Network and in life. We're approaching the solstice, but... We're officially in the full swing of the summer of Sigourney. Woo! Isn't that right, E Namarik? It's gonna be a Sigourney summer by the lads who brought you the Von Sydow summer. I love a bit, and you know that by now, and we're going with it. Oh, uh, In hindsight, on that last bit, should we have done like the Von Sydow, like something with a V summer, like vodka summer? I don't know. I, I can't think of any other V words, but like, should we have went that far with it? Von Sydow like... Vodka Summer? I think you're Leslie Noping it. I think that's too much alliteration. I think that's too headlining. Okay, okay. Um, it's too sweaty. I get it. I got you. We did it right. There's no reason to go back after the fact. We can re-record all those if you want, but I haven't seen those movies in a while now. Yeah, I mean, we we should have, we could have just been drinking vodka martinis while we were, we were talking about, like, uh through a glass dark layer or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know, never mind. It's, it's, that's past history of 2022. It's 23, summer of Sigourney. Louis from Miami Beach, the OAC. Didn't get to bed last night. And yeah, we've got another Sigourney Weaver banger to talk about today. This last time, you know, last episode we did uh, with our pair, it was the older, the classic that she was in, of course, Aliens, which we paired with Evil Dead Rise. This time around, we've got a new, a new joint. It's in the A slot for her, A Master Gardener, the new Paul Schrader film. We're going to discuss that. We're also going to pair that with a uh, discussion of 1964, The Pawnbroker uh, from Sidney Lumet. So it's a little, I mean, Summer of Sydney as like the as like the second tier down i don't know maybe we'll do another one of his nah i guess we don't we don't need to confuse the matter i mean we could do serpico uh, later there's got to be there's got to be a serpico like movie i have not seen serpico ever that is that is a pretty big blind spot on my old film watching resume lock it in maybe we should get to that one i don't know that feels like a late summer vibe to me like a sweaty august new york type of thing Is, is that accurate at all yeah, yeah, no, I feel that. So maybe that's coming. We can pair it off uh, with, a, with a newer film. But uh, yeah, speaking of new films, before I get into the main topic, is there any uh, anything you've been watching, like any other new stuff uh, or uh, jumping out to you? My D&D schedule has made it a bit of a struggle to uh, get in there and watch some good new movies, but I think I saw something good recently. Did we ever discuss, by the way, I know we talked about uh, a couple episodes ago that the, before we had seen it, the Dungeons & Dragons new film, Chris Pine one, but did we ever actually discuss our thoughts about that on the show here? We didn't because it. Evil Alex hadn't seen it, right? Oh, that's right. And uh, speaking of Evil Alex, I think she's, she's creeping on into the room right now. Uh, yep, I don't know if you could catch that. Yeah, I think. Do you, uh, do you want to say anything, EA? Uh, about what? Hi, <laughs> Alex. Eric's saying hi, you can't hear because it it's in my headphones. Hi. Do you want to uh, say anything about Dungeons & Dragons? What do you know about that? You haven't seen the new movie, but... I haven't seen the new movie, but I have a lot of friends who play religiously. Mm-hmm. Uh, my friend Jane is a DM, and she writes out all of the games that's what eric does also. and draws pictures and maps and oh do you draw insane. pictures eric i use other people's art uh for free i see and then i i, I do draw maps steals the art from online okay and draws ma- he does draw maps all right so 
Yes, yeah, they're. She'll spend like a whole week just for one di- one night of like preparing this game for her. Well, it is a lot of work. I don't know what it's called, but the group. Her group is it called a group or group table party? Table party. Yeah, party yeah. makes sense. Table, yeah. In the movie, they're kind of like a party. Do they use that terminology? I can't remember now. Mm-hmm. But they mm-hmm. do. Okay. Thanks, Elux, delivering my mail. <laughs> the old postman over here, the old Kevin Costner. We check it once a week, so. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I used to check my mail like once a month yeah, in Brooklyn. <laughs> Eric's saying he only checks his, or he used to only check his mail once a month in Brooklyn, <laughs> so. Yeah, that's the that's the stat. The guy did that too, or probably still would if you didn't do it. But anyway, yeah, D and D as uh, or uh, Honor Amongst Thieves. Well, we both enjoyed it, right? It was it was a pretty funny, pretty funny one. We did talk about it maybe because maybe just not on mic. Because I feel like I yeah remember you saying like you didn't think it was as, as funny as the game night. Is that right? Or am I? That's right. It's not as funny as Game Night, uh, written and directed by the same um, duo. Uh, of course, the kid uh, from Freaks and Geeks, and another guy who is also a good comedy writer. I guess it wasn't a straight comedy like that one was, so maybe it's not. Right. Like it, uh, yeah, that was a really funny kind of opening scene when they're waiting for the guy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You don't know why. He keeps saying, Where, when is this guy coming when they're trying to get paroled, basically, in this fantasy jail? And then it's because he's a bird, and they just <laughs> jump on him to escape. <laughs> even though they were yeah, going to get paroled. there are a lot of really funny bits and like they 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 like purposely drag all the all of the bits out like way too far um what am i thinking of like family guy rules right where it's every everything is stretched until it can't possibly be funny anymore and then stretched further to where it becomes funny again like the end of Shostakovich's fifth and it works man it's it's fucking it's cute it's not like that cloying or annoying and it's funny as hell yeah so uh and yeah good good uh performances pretty much all around mm-hmm. uh, now i also saw recently of, of like popular films uh the new spider-man uh, across the spider-verse is that that's right called? how was that another i mean these movies with their sub that they're colon subtitles whatever you call it uh confusing it was great i loved it actually um, the only thing I didn't realize was going to be a part... It was a Dune situation that crept up on me, where it's oh. only the first half of the movie. Yeah, I heard that. And with Dune, I kind of could tell, because, like, I didn't know going into that that it was only going to be the first half, but I'd seen the David Lynch one, and I kind of remembered it, and, like, I could just tell from the structure of the story, like, they're, they're not wrapping this up. And then it went to, like, you know how it ended but with the spider-man one i didn't really get that sense until it was i still thought they could have wrapped it up by then but then you know they just make it it unravels or whatever so the next one's coming out next year i guess but yeah i'm pretty superheroed out as i may have mentioned Word. before but and i had it's not been an animated film and i and i'd seen the first one and really liked it i probably wouldn't have been interested but uh the animation's really beautiful and it's really funny also a lot of good humor um uh what's his name jason schwartzman is the villain is pretty funny Mm -hmm. and then becomes more sinister by that he starts as like a comical villain and becomes sinister basically that's jason schwartzman all Um, over yeah and it's it's really pretty good story i think with the the miles morales character and the gwen stacy uh spider gwen i think they Mm -hmm. call her and uh yeah I, i liked it quite a bit I think it's really good. I'm sure the next one will be as well whenever it comes out. Yeah, so that's gets a recommend from me. Not yet, not too much to say. I won't spoil anything or whatever. Are you going to plan to watch that one? I will. Um, I won't go to the theater for that. I, I spent my theater token, because you know everybody only gets one, this uh, last week on You Hurt My Feelings uh, by Nicole Hall Center. Uh, oh, right. You did tell me you were checking that loved out. Loved it. Can't say too much about it, obviously. Okay, so so it was good, and it's mostly a comedy as well. Is that correct? Uh, I mean, it's like a it's like a rom com, right? Like all all Nicole Hall Center movies, like just like uh, what is it? Enough said or whatever. Yes, I think so. That's the other one with Julia Louis Dreyfus. Yeah, with that Gandalf. Really cute. Uh, basically, uh, Julia Louis Dreyfus is a novelist, and uh, her husband Tobias Menzies thinks that her novel is bad, and she finds that out, and it's just, you know, I can't say too much more. 
there's there's stuff that happens, yeah. but it's good. It's it's really cute. He's that guy that's in like every TV show. Yeah. I feel like is that that act? Briefly in Game of Thrones, small role, but uh, bro. Yeah, real yeah. HBO head. I haven't seen him in too many movies. I don't think. Yeah, he's definitely like he's got the casting uh, director at HBO has his number. That's for sure. Or Max, whatever. I don't know. Is he going to be that? Well, Max is the one to watch. So Max, that. <laughs> that's what I've been told. Yeah. So yeah, I w- I'm interested in seeing that. I went to the old theater twice in, in a seven day period. Actually, pretty rare for me these days, but. And I, I can't talk about um, that's right this at all. But I, other than to say, I did see the uh, kind of like the situation I had with the Northman originally. I living in LA here, I got to go see a uh, sneak preview, basically, or a test screening. I believe it's called of the new Bong Joon Ho joint, which is coming out next mm-hmm. year. A Mickey Seventeen was starring Robert Pattinson, so I can't talk about it other than that but that was a fun experience and uh old bong was there sitting behind me basically just off to the left holy shit me. that's cool and the back row uh, we were evil and alex and i were in the, the row and second to last row and uh yeah he, he just came in like right at the end of the row and was, was going down with like a hat like a bucket <laughs> hat, basically, hat amazing and then like, ran right out at the end of it basically yes yeah, so that was cool you know, I'm a Pattinson, a bit of a Pattinson head over here. Mm-hmm, so. mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, well, I'm sure that's one we'll probably do on the show. If not, we'll talk about it. Do you see the Poor Things trailer? At least. I did not. Who is that? Uh, Yorgos motherfucking Lanthimos, buddy. Oh, yes. Is it uh, uh, Emma Stone? Uh, yeah, Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, some other okay. folks. Oh, like basically it's, everyone. Oh, oh like Ruffalo is in Mickey 17 also, by the way. Nice. And uh, Tony Collette is there as well. Yeah, I think I did actually see it, but I just didn't remember what the title was. But yeah. Or it's one of these things where now I can't remember. Did I watch a trailer? Did I just see that there was a trailer on Twitter? Although I probably would have watched it. So was it a new trailer that just came out in the past couple of days? Yeah. The the trailer dropped. Okay, the trailer. I think I just saw something about it like, like a month ago and saw that Emma Stone was in it. Yeah, I'm excited for that one, man. That's coming out in, uh, I'm just looking it up now, in September. Yeah. I missed that if they did a test screening too bad, but uh, I can't catch them all. Hey, he's not done one since The Favorite. Is that correct? I don't think so. That's right. Yeah, which we have an episode on a few years back, so go check that one out. Yeah, so we're, we're, we've got plenty of things on the horizon, it looks like, to discuss, but uh, Summer of Sigourney rolls on. Let's, should we get to the main topic at hand here? Let's go, boys. With this alliteration, I mean, it's also straight. It's a Schrader special. It's uh, yeah. It's, it's definitely a Schrader summer. It's always. It's been a Schrader summer for me ever since uh, First Reform came out. Sure has. Um, now I can't remember. I think we talked about it doing this, and we we're talking about First Reform. But I was like, did we actually do an episode on that, or it, maybe it was just like in a wrap up episode of the year of that year. I can't remember yeah, that. it was like I remember briefly saying on Mike that First Reform not not getting uh, any kind of awards love was uh, a travesty. But yes, yeah, certainly Ethan Hawke could have gotten a uh, Best Actor nom, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, even what what Cedric the Entertainer was was he the guy in that? He was pretty good. If I he remember. was in that. I'm deciphered. That's right. So yeah, I got nothing. So was that the first Schrader that you were really? Maybe not the first one you'd seen, but when you you'd first... That was definitely the birth of my Schrader songs. I'd already seen Taxi Driver and some other stuff, obviously, but... Yeah, Taxi Driver, written by him, but obviously directed by Scorsese. I think his first directed film was... was I want to say Blue Streak, which I know is woefully not correct. It's a Martin Lawrence film from the 90s. But... Interesting. <laughs> why am I thinking that? It's a... Uh, we'll, we'll just cut this and then just... Cut to us saying the right thing. Written uh, by, written by, written by, written by. Goddamn. You were hardcore. I get it. Hardcore. Uh, oh, Blue Collar is what I'm thinking of. So it did have blue in the title, um, which I have not yet seen, which I would like to. Though. I think it's Yafit Koto, Richard Pryor, yeah, and Kaitel. Hardcore has a famous... I have not seen that either, actually. That is a... That's a, a huge meme of George C. Scott. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That people use like no no 
Um, but yeah, going down the filmography direction wise, or even just writing wise, like before before his direction, yeah, the Yakuza is his first credit as a writer, co-written with um, two other people. But that's a really good film. Rolling Thunder is really good. He uh, apparently co-wrote that. But yeah, then he started directing. Yeah, in '78, I've seen maybe about. Uh, looks like about a third, probably I would say, of his directorial features. Maybe that's maybe that's uh, too many, but he definitely has a vibe. Uh, he definitely sticks to um, a general kind of not storyline. Well, I was gonna say storyline, but it's more of a a, the- a general th- similar themes. I think definitely. Yeah, I mean, he's got traitorisms for sure. Certainly. Yeah. And now, I have not seen The Card Counter, which is this film between Master Gardener, which we're going to talk about, and First Reform, which you just mentioned. Uh, I was going to try to watch it before this pod, but I just didn't get the time to do so. Mm-hmm. Would you say that's uh, close to the, the those two movies, too, though, or like similar if i were to say it's the weakest of the three and i'm not sure that i'm doing that um, it's not it's not by much i mean it's right it's right up there a little bit um there's this interesting thing that he does where he's um the character has like a dark past and it's like a completely hollowed out person like a lot of paul schrader protagonists right yeah he, he plays that theme of a man waiting for something and he doesn't know what right over and over um to great effect but he does this thing the line reading, the the choices made by the actors in this movie is to, uh, I'll just call it what it is, to act very flatly and badly. <laughs> and this is like Oscar Isaac. <laughs> he can act, uh, and the dialogue's not bad. Um, so it's definitely a choice, and it, it, it kind of flattens the emotion of the whole thing, and it's just like, I think it is a really good, like, metaphorical practice to have used for that movie like if you had that bullet left in your gun and used it then i it really works for me people may disagree uh <laughs> but it, I, I think it's really cool uh yeah yeah and it's interesting i think so i isaac stars in that one um this master Gardner stars joel edgerton who i'm somewhat familiar with this is maybe only like it's maybe his third or fourth film i've seen i think at least where he is in a major role yeah I might be forgetting some, but Oscar Isaac kind of seems like a a centerpiece, like in between of Edgerton and Ethan Hawke in some ways to me. Yeah, that's that's um, a that's a funny. And image. that movie's in between the two also, so that's because Hawke doesn't like Edgerton's very physical. I feel like, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't really find Hawke to be acting style wise, and and Isaac kind of can do both a little bit, not not to the degree of. Edgerton, I don't think, but mm-hmm. the physical nature, but a little bit more so. Well, and Ethan Hawke isn't going to flatten a performance. He isn't going to underact like that um, no. to help you get your thing across. Ethan Hawke, the, the, the pathos is the whole thing mm-hmm. for Ethan Hawke. Yeah, yeah, I can't see him doing that, really. Or do you want to get him for that? So, yeah, Master Gardner, uh, obviously, Summer of Sigourney, she's the one of the main characters as well she's a before we go we'll get into spoilers shortly i guess but the basic setup she's has this master garden i guess this huge garden she's kind of like a southern well i don't think it's southern actually it's it's schrader's very midwestern vibe to me i feel and this this had a midwestern vibe this actually gave me Louisiana uh, former plantation uh property the property uh, i do agree that's what you picture but the accents of any of the characters, and there really southern accents around that I remember, and the the general settings when no, they go yeah. out out of the main area seem midwestern. Um, I'm not sure it was filmed. Could be. So we could look that up. Yeah. It doesn't tell you. No, right? they just say like the Fifth Street uh, projects. That's the other area that they go to a bit. Uh, but yeah, she has this. She's the old lady that's. Not, well, she doesn't live alone. She has tons of servants and all people, but no family other than, I guess, her grand niece, who's played by, I have the name here, Quintessa 
Swindell, they don't know each other very well, but or haven't seen each other in years, but she, her mother, I guess, Sigourney's niece has died, and she wants to offer this girl, her grandniece, a, a job or like an apprenticeship at, with the master gardener who's played by Joel Edgerton, who is the, uh, yeah, the straighter character, um, stoic guy, very meticulous. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he's basically told he has to train her and take her on. Um, and he has, like, a staff already of, I don't know, four or five people, it seems like. Maybe more. Uh, yes. I don't know how much you would need for this these huge gardens. But, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so, I mean, the performances are very good in this, I thought. Um, not really surprising. What did you think about... Right, and they didn't go back to the well for that, that flat aspect. Yeah. Or flattened affect, uh, which I think is a good. I think is a good call. Um, I guess I, I, I like I like that these characters had personalities. I wasn't expecting them to do it again, um, and I was glad that they didn't. Uh, that was like a, a neat trick that made me laugh the first time. But if that's just going to be how you direct your movies, then like it's not a trick anymore, you know? Yeah, it goes from trick to shtick. I think. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I don't want to just get into the spoilers. Basically, say a couple things, but. What overall did you find this? Well, you said uh, Card Counter might be the weakest of the three newer Shader directed films. Is that what you're going to say? Or where do you put this one? How much did you like it overall? I kind of, uh, e- each one of these three movies is like the uh, an object that I hold especially dear for different reasons. And I don't know that I could rank them, even though I'm, you know, borderline obsessed with ranking things. Um, uh, I am really fond of this movie, and especially at the the exclamation point at the end of this uh, unofficial Sad Men trilogy that, that he's uh, made here. I guess I'm just uh, moved that he was able to find, you know, something more hopeful than uh, to spoil some other movies. <laughs> well, that's kind of what I wanted to say. I'll just say, I mean, it's not like a... He- there is a more hopeful ending. Yeah. It's, it's, okay, so we'll say spoiler from this point. It's not really hugely spoilable. But yeah, I think we'll, we'll both recommend it to some degree, at least. Um, I'm still thinking about it myself, how much I enjoyed it. But it's, yeah, it has like a happy ending, basically, which I was not expecting with Schrader in general or with how the movie was, the film was kind of setting up. So I thought that was maybe the most interesting part to me overall. Mm-hmm. Well, it asks sort of a question that it wants to answer in a certain way, right? Whereas, like, First Reformed basically is asking the question, if you can't touch God, what can you do? What should you do? What else is there, right? And I think the answer that the film arrives at is kind of nothing, because it's not love and it's not uh, changing things. It's <laughs> uh, it, it arrives at a place of hopelessness, which if you believe that the ending of like taxi driver for instance is a death dream after he gets shot in the hotel then uh, he's been doing this forever right and then you haven't seen the card counter but like the question the card counter is asking is just like you've been to a dark place what is enough when have you atoned for that and when can you even forgive yourself what is it going to take is it going to take you know the ultimate sacrifice or is it going to take something less and i guess i won't spoil where that film lands but this this film is in turn asking a different question, but of the same kind of like man alone with a glass of whiskey thoughts, you know? It's just like, is is redemption possible? Like, uh, can, can someone who has done what this Joel Edgerton character has done, are they allowed back in society? Which is be a Nazi, basically, or a neo-Nazi. Right. He has committed fascist violence, yes. He was an enforcer for uh, fascist um, for a gang, paramilitary yeah. organization. Gang, yeah. Yeah. Like, are they allowed back in society? Can they? Can any good come from having them around? Right. From 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 letting them live. You know the 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 whole like interminable annoying. Does it is it effective to punch Nazis? Debate. And the answer that he arrives at is yes. Uh, people can. People people can change and uh, contribute to society and. Uh, you can uh, feel love and give love and all that. You can become a master gardener and, and marry a, what, a 23-year-old or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little, little squicky. I, it, it's a movie. I don't care. It's not 
it's not leery or um no male gazy it's just like yep this relationship happened in my move in this movie deal with it you know well yeah so about the character then uh what's the man's name a narval roth yeah strange name I don't know if that's some kind of sick German or Nazi signifier, the Narval. But... Uh, well, that's his witness protection name, so I hope not. Oh, right. I guess he wouldn't be having the same name. Well, that's strange as well, and I don't know why he picks it. I would think he'd go generic, but um, I guess I wouldn't be looking for that. Um, and actually, Roth is interesting because it's kind of like a, a Jewish name. It's Jewish, yes. Also, and then this, yeah, we're obviously going to talk the Pawnbroker, which is deeply about... Jewish experience, or one Jewish person's experience, at least. The, is this character, though, Narvel? Is he realistic, I guess? Well, is the taxi driver realistic? Is, uh, Travis Bickle, is he realistic? Is Ethan Hawke's character from First Reformed realistic? These are, these are they're a little archetypey, sure. Yes, I guess it's easier to see the realism. In a twisted way, it's easier for me to see the realism in a negative situation, I guess, or like a, uh, a, a well, in the nihilistic with, version of the story. You yeah. Mean. Or with, with Travis Bickle, like, I mean, he's just not right. He's not a sane person overall. So that's right. realistic in that degree. Maybe everything that happens isn't, but just the character himself. Yeah. The Ethan Hawke character in first reformed, I guess it's not as much about him personally. It's a little bit more about, if I recall, at least, you know, the film better than I do, but it's more about his, like, fixation on something. Well, yeah, which I would argue is about him personally, right? Okay. Um, I mean, it's a it's a character straight out of Dostoevsky, right? The the man who lost his inward fight with God and, and, and doesn't know how to live in the real world yeah. because of it's that. It's more metaphysical, though. I mean, it's not, um, it's not about his personal past, I guess I'm saying. That's true. But so this character was a, like we said, a... I guess see, there's some illusions to like I was born into this life. Maybe was, I was probably raised mm-hmm. in this, but it does seem, and it was maybe ten years or something since he went into witness protection because I guess he flipped. Uh, he didn't want to kill these this mother and daughter, I think, so he kind of uh, didn't, and then flipped on his boss, I guess I'm assuming or whatever, this gang uh, or paramilitary group, whatnot. So he's in witness protection with. Uh, Esai Morales is his uh, guy, whatever. Uh, yeah. But it is kind of a big switch to go. Like, he's fairly a noble character, I would say, overall. Or, uh, and, like, or at least he's maybe noble's too strong, but he does not seem to hold prejudice anymore at all. Right. And he's very patient and all these things. Maybe he always was to some degree, I guess, but. It's just hard. It's kind of a little hard to. Um, I, I guess it is a redemption story, but it's it's a little hard to like. I don't know. See that as realistic to me. Just when I think about real For sure. people. Well, and this. So this movie asks this question of us, right? With every with every intention of answering it a certain way, and so yeah, the extent to which you you know buy that answer is is one thing. Uh, it, it works really hard with the gardening metaphor. They talk. They talk several times about. Uh, I think the term is deadheading, um, parts of the, parts of the plant that uh, are no good any longer. Right. So that so that the roots can flourish and it can come back. You know, better. I thought deadheading was when you argue about with your plants about which Garcia solo was the best, like seventy eight, eighty four. Right. Right. On Scarlet Begonia, so I'm trying to pull it. Yeah, I was uh, I was gacked on acid the whole time, so I couldn't really tell you. Yeah, dude. So I definitely understand what you're saying. It doesn't seem realistic, especially if like you've asked yourself this question and the answer is no, right? There, there, there can be no redemption for white nationalist militias, uh, militia heads, members of one. Then, like, yeah, you found it. That's your answer. But uh, this this question. Were his beliefs when he was a Nazi hitman him, or were they, it's nature and nurture, you know? And, I mean, the film answers that question for us to the extent that we, like I said, want want to believe yeah. that answer. And, uh, just to be clear, I don't personally think there's no possible redemption for anyone like this. It's just the way it's, it's, it's more about the extent of it, I guess, and the, just the character that's drawn, how they act. 
But yeah, maybe I'm maybe I'm overstating it, the concern with it. I do think he is kind of like a. I guess you could make the metaphor that he's like a, just a tool, basically. Mm-hmm. Gardeners use tools. The Nazis were using him as a killing tool, whatever tool for their own purpose. Now, Sigourney's using him for her tool for her literal garden, and then even though she's not requesting it specifically, the character, my character, is using him as a tool to get out of her life basically because he just yeah goes in it was interesting that that isai morales was like would i guess he didn't do anything crazy but like he was like willing to be like oh there's these i mean i guess he is a cop but it was interesting to me that that uh, narvel could just go and be like i have this issue can you like take care of it for me even though i guess that didn't work it's not really what but then they have the whole thing of like oh you've been an exemplary yeah yeah this whole time well, they were just listing off the names of uh, dead Nazi bitches that they got because of him, right? So, I, I, I figure the cop that got them might be, or the marshal, excuse me, that got them might be um, more inclined to work with him, especially than his replacement was, right? Because we see that scene. Yeah, it was a good casting on that replacement, as the look of him, and like how he was acting. Well, he looked, he, was he looked so mayo that I thought for yeah, a second, exactly. maybe, that that guy was there... Oh, from the yeah, like yeah. Because there's a they be a they show a guy walking out of the diner right when Isai Morales's character says, "Yeah, you know, if anyone finds out that you're here, that's you know, words on the street." I would the anyone in that's true. Yeah, in those organizations, and then Isai Morales is gone, and it's some uh, white guy who doesn't doesn't really seem to understand what Joel Edgerton's character's saying. But to be fair, I guess, how would he understand? Like, and, and the way that they hand it off is like, you can't see him ever again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he didn't tell me anything about that. You know, how would he really know, I guess? But yeah, just to finish the tool thing, I guess, like that I was kind of going. Yeah. That could explain it. If you see it from that light, he was being used that way by them. I kind of said this already, I guess. But now he's being used this way. That's more, maybe the more realistic thing. And again, yeah, it's not, I guess Schrader's not really about cold literalism it is more i mean most of his films do deal somewhat with religion especially kind of like the i think protestantism which i don't know much about but i i've heard uh someone you know other film scholars or whatnot mentioned that aspect that that's the main theme or that specific or that that was his religion too in a very religious protestant upbringing i think his possibly his father was a minister or something i thought he was catholic but i've heard i mean i've heard the same thing and it's obvious right yeah and see that's why i think i don't see because i do know a lot about i was raised catholic and everything and i went to catholic school my whole life and i don't see i guess ethan hawk was a catholic priest in first reform but i don't see the catholic stuff as much in schrader's thing it it is a little more i guess good evil like it's a little more literal again it's not what i'm trying to say because I just said he's not literal in that way. It's a little more stark good. I keep saying good evil, which is not the only thing I mean, but uh, Catholicism is is more wrapped up in different imagery, I feel like, than he works with. And it's more, it's really tied into like Mary and all this stuff, which I don't feel like is really Schrader's thing. It's Scorsese's thing for sure. Well, yeah. But I think that's where they kind of diverge. Anyway, this one didn't have that much to Unless I'm no, it's just a movie possible. about a man who is not a hero, and the question of whether or not he can be a part of society and a part of anyone's life now, after having done some horrible, horrible shit. Yeah, and we didn't talk much about Sigourney, obviously, we're trying to highlight her this summer. Uh, good performance. I did see her characters being realistic. You saw what I saw on her face, right? The first time she makes him uh, take his shirt off. You think she's into that? She she like, likes the tattoos. Yeah. yeah. And then... I mean, she obviously would know they're there. They're having... She's having some type of affair with them. Her grandfather... Her father had, like, uh-huh. some pistol, Nazi pistol. Her grandfather's service weapon is a Luger, the iconic uh, mm-hmm. World War II uh, Nazi handgun, firearm, yeah. whatever that's called. Sidearm. Now, is she into it from a sense of, like, liking this ideology, or is it some type of taboo kind of... I think her family are, like, former Nazis. I think that was the thing. And in reading it that way, there's a little cheek there, too, right? It's, it's Schrader and his collaborators saying, okay, you may not agree that uh, this former, you know, 
skinhead uh, capo is capable of being remitted back to society, right? But America decided a long time ago that former Nazis are going to be a part of our society. And not only that, they're going to be able to amass all sorts of wealth in this capitalist system. So deal with that, you know? Yes. And it's that could be a good transition into the pawnbroker also. But it is we didn't talk about the race stuff as much either, other than just the fact that he's reformed skinhead. Or not a skinhead, I guess. But mm-hmm. Well, I guess that's... He is and he is he reformed. Is. It doesn't spend a lot of time yeah. on that, too. I think it's He's so... first Im- reformed. <laughs> yes. I think it's so important that he doesn't use the kind of HR language that people uh, are obsessed with using for the last 10 years to, like, basically just prove that you can't... I, that I, I can't be in trouble for this, you know? He doesn't say, like, I've changed yeah. or I understand or, or I'm going to therapy or whatever uh, when, she, when she sees the tattoos, right? When, when Maya sees the tattoos. What he says is, I used to be a different person, and I am your friend. It's, uh, I, I just think that's, it's, it, it was really, really smart. Really good. Yeah. And we don't always get films that smart or good. But, and, and what we're not, we haven't said is that Maya is like a mixed race, half black, I guess, character. Right, because Sigourney Weaver, Weaver is related to her, yeah. Yeah, so that's interesting to you. I mean, there's obviously the racial elements here. Well, and Sigourney Weaver wants nothing to do with her because of the but it is interesting because she was well, yeah she, she's just like she says something like she she's mixed but like not that i care about that like she says some kind of thing yeah, like that yeah. but even you saying it like that obviously you know where she's coming from but she does still say like she wants her to pass at at least a certain point in the film she wants her to possibly inherit this garden like she wants it like in the family still so there is a question of family loyalty or family name i guess at least yeah versus this pure uh, ideology of uh, skin color, I guess, or you know, race. So yeah, it's all uh, interesting stuff. I think where I'm landing on it is I did enjoy it overall. I don't. To me, it wasn't better than First Reformed, or I don't. I'm not. You're maybe not saying that either. And it, I don't know. It wasn't. It wasn't like top Schrader to me of what I've seen so mm. far. But there was still an interesting stuff. And I, I, I think the performances were my favorite part of the film, probably more so than the writing. Yeah. But let's talk the pawnbroker, uh, Sidney Lumet, like I said, from 1964, I believe, uh, starring Rod Steiger. I would have to say that, I mean, I kind of chose this um, to go with Master Gardner after I saw Master Gardner because I kind of feel like it's like an almost an inverse of the two films are like an inverse of each other. It is opposite in many ways. Yeah. So in this film, we have a Holocaust survivor who also, yeah, I had this quote from uh, actually Master Gardner. What was it? He says it at the beginning, Narvel. What, what, uh, something about the plant. Oh, it's like the plants are a belief in the future because you believe that they're going to grow. Yeah. So he is a, quite literally a, a former skinhead, you know, former Nazi, whatever with this belief in the future and this, and that the film has this somewhat, op- I just called it a happy ending, but like somewhat optimistic. Yeah. You can change, take control like this. And the pawnbroker is deals completely with this former concentration camp, Auschwitz survivor who has his whole thing is in the past. He doesn't believe in the future whatsoever, or at least claims not to, or tries to show that he doesn't and just goes down a dark road. So it's really, it's like, yeah, the inverse of the opposite to me. I don't know. Yeah. Stagger's performance, at the start, it, it was more like the Narvel character. Or it was, at least in terms of the acting style, very reserved um, and still kind of. But, but then there's certain points to, by the end where he's like making these crazy faces and all this stuff. And like, I don't know. What do you think? What do you think? Of, you had seen this before then. Yeah, when it was like a lot younger. Yeah, I think I'd seen it a while ago too, but did rewatch it then uh, today actually. So it's pretty fresh. Yeah, what do you think of the 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 lead per the titular character uh, slash the stagger performance? So I think it's cool what he's. I think it's cool what they're doing with this, right? The the stoicism that he's using to detach himself after the worst thing that could possibly happen to a human being has happened to him. The stoicism that he's using to detach himself from everyone around him. Who he hates. He can't, he can't, he cannot help but hate now. Humanity in general, kind of. Yeah. 
is clearly a mask for the the rage, right? And so the the way that that boils out, like use poem, which is talking about a different kind of uh, horrible fate. But when 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 he explodes, I mean, it's good acting. It, yeah, I I think it it is good. I mean, there's the one scene where that I thought it was a little too much, or I didn't like it. What I th- it's with him um, when he goes to the guy's house, who's like his essentially his boss, I guess, or like. He's the neighborhood. Rodriguez, I think, is the character's name. He, like, owns the neighborhood or whatever and all the things. And Nazerman, is a Stagger's character, realizes mm-hmm. that he's a pimp, basically, and all this stuff. Yeah. And he's beholden to him for his pawn shop. So he goes to complain about that, basically, and then gets berated, whatever. And he's, like, kind of making all this... That's what I was saying, especially, is making all the faces and crying and all this stuff. I was like... Yeah. That was a little bit much, I thought, but um, yeah, 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 for sure. I see what they're doing. It's the it's the other it's the other speech in the pawn shop that I'm that I'm thinking about that was uh, compelling. Mm-hmm. It, are you talking about the speech where where so the main like how are you people so good at business? Yeah, that's what. Okay, yeah, that's really good. That would be the for sure the uh, I don't know if Stagger was nominated for uh, an Oscar for this. That would be like the clip they show. He did win. Best Supporting Actor a few years after this for In the Heat of the Night. Um, but anyway, the main kind of relationship in the film is between Nazerman and his employee, uh, Ortiz, and who's like a kid, or you know, like a mid-twenties guy probably, who wants to learn about being a pawnbroker, I guess. That's another, that's another similarity between the films, I guess. There, there's an element of teacher-student. And Master Gardner, he's forced to be this teacher to Maya and then obviously we see how their relationship develops and in this he's not forced to uh, Nazarman teach him but he, he chose he this apprentice yeah yeah but then he's he's unable to really have this relationship and doesn't want to see him as his student or friend or anything yeah which devolves to the tragedy I mean it's a very melodramatic film I think it, but that's the the main relationship is the the back and forth between them so he asked like yeah how do you guys meaning you jews basically get so good at business and then nazarman goes off on the whole rant which is really good and i liked kind of the ortiz's sort of response or when they finally pan back to him too i can't remember exactly what he says but he, they do show that he kind of gets it what he's and yeah he tries to look out for him and it's the whole film's about people trying to like help or yeah connect with this guy and he just won't and at a certain point you're like yeah like he did suffer like the most tragic thing ever really well and because he commits the he commits what i consider uh to be its greatest sin which is showing us precisely in flashback what is affecting his decision not to engage with you know his sister-in-law the lady on the street uh, or the lady on the block who is you know interested in him or his uh protege Oh, well, it was like Ortiz's girlfriend, basically. I guess there's. I didn't exactly. So that's Ortiz's girlfriend, or Ortez. Yeah. Ortez. I think it's Ortiz, but they're just pronouncing it like that. Or that's how like. Okay. Stagger is pronouncing it, but because Ortez is not a name, as far as I know. Well, it could be. This is a very common Puerto Rican name. But anyway, so she's going to try to stop him from doing like something because she thinks he's going to start getting back into robbery or whatever which kind of happens at the end mm-hmm. so her, is it her plan to like try to sleep with Nazarman to stop that somehow I didn't really connect on I, didn't, I wasn't really sure exactly you know what's going on there my read is that she had that conversation with uh, Ortiz or Ortez and she was like don't get back into crime we're almost out you know and she's not reassured. His boyish reassurance is, in fact, not reassuring. Shout out to Japanese breakfast. And and she knows, okay, he's going to fuck this up. Uh, the only person that I know that I can go to for money to help get us out of this is the person who okay, is above this all. And, in fact, he's not above it all. He's in the game, right? He just doesn't know what game he's in. Right. So it was to just get a little money for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but okay. That's what I think anyway. But... I guess the disconnect for me was like, no, that makes sense. The disconnect for me was like, oh, he has like 5000 in the safe or whatever. And she's talking about like 100 bucks or something. So this temptation would still be there for Ortez, Ortiz. And I, but ultimately why he does 
do it, and then it leads to his tragic death, of course, uh, to spoil this one too, from 1964. He, he's basically just done trying with Dagger, with Nazim and tells him, I regard you as all other scum that I told you I think everyone else is. So he's like, all right, I can't, you know, then that's the decision for me that he was already kind of thinking of doing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very, this is a very sad movie overall. I mean, anything with the Holocaust can definitely be that. It's extraordinarily bleak. It's bleak. It's most of the character, I mean, the themes of loneliness and also, I mean, so the Geraldine Fitzgerald character tries to um, become friends with him. She just kind of been in the neighborhood, whatever. She tries to tell him about her loneliness or whatever, but it's so pale in comparison to his experience that he can't accept that either. Yep. A really sad character is that guy who just wants to come in and like talk to him and like kind of rant about that hurt a lot psychology or something, and he just that didn't feel good. You know, no, that's uh, that was very sad, and yeah, so. But so do you, were you saying that you didn't like the, um, or you thought a weaker element was the flashback or how they handled that? It was too literal or too showing too much about what he's going through at the exact time. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I think, uh, I think that's what I believe. I kind of agree with that. I guess it, I mean, I, I like the way this film was directed, except for the part at the end where he gets actually shot. I thought that was kind of clumsy, but I guess for the time, whatever. But there's some cool shots in this and, like, some kind of flair. The quick cutting, I didn't mind. I think if they only did it, if they did it a little more, if Lumet did it a little more sparingly, I think it would have worked better. It's, it's like, two full minutes of the strobing flashbacks and then long, wordless sequences of the camera panning through flashbacks. Yeah. It, it didn't work for me. Sidney Lumet knows, or knew uh, before he, I assume, died. Uh, more about film than I ever will, but uh, yeah, that's how I feel. I mean, even by this point, he probably did. In the sixties, yeah, yeah, directing it at least. I I like the shot of when they bring in the uh, the lawnmower. I think it is, and like there, there's a cooler shot where they where they put it from that floor angle. Put the camera on the lawnmower. Yeah, yeah. I liked that whole crew too. I could have actually used a little bit more of them. So that those three guys are like this kind of criminal. I don't know if they're a gang, but they're just criminals in the neighborhood. It's like a Jamaican guy and two other guys and uh, in Harlem where this takes place. And they know Ortez and then they he used to run with them a little bit, I think, and tried to get in the straight life and they're pulling them back in, which happens at the end. But I like the casting of those three guys. I thought had an interesting look and uh, kind of vibe. I wish the movie would would have decided whether, I don't know. I don't know. I'm nitpicking now. I, I I don't think this movie was bad. I wish the movie had decided whether it, it wants like those people, uh, that that trio of petty criminals, to be like menacing, or if it wants to treat them with the same. I guess you could call it humanity, except that this movie is basically shot through uh, Nazarman's eyeglasses. Yeah, I don't think they are supposed to be very menacing because ultimately they're menacing to Ortez or Ortiz. Yeah. The most menacing the Jamaican guy is is when he's at the pool hall, whatever, and then he's like trying to get him back on board. Well, yeah, because he he won't leave him the fuck alone, and it's like, okay, are are we going to see a fight here? It's also a thing though of like this was a good mirroring thing. I think too. Obviously, the guy was right. Like you did come to this pool hall because you want to talk to me. Uh You want to get maybe back involved. You want to come otherwise. And and Nazarin kind of does the same thing with the Geraldine Fitzgerald character. He goes to where she knows where he is in the park, and then. Yeah, so that was interesting. But yeah, I, I don't know. They, I don't think they're supposed to be that menacing now. But, and then and then they end up killing accidentally, but they end up killing. Or yeah. That, so it was, again, back to just, again, they're, again, their own people, essentially, the neighborhood people. Yeah. They're more of a coming up because of what's happening in this neighborhood. They're a symptom of it and uh, turning into the, the disease of it, whatever. The menacing character is the Rodriguez character, mm-hmm. who legitimately is very menacing. Also, that chair he has in his house, that mid-century modern chair. Yo! Yes. Damn, that thing's so dope. Probably cost $10,000 now. But I want it. I, I coveted it. Uh, anyway. And also, were they implying that he was in a relationship with the one guy that like works for him? There's a couple weird sh- things at the end where I wasn't sure. Like, 
Because it seemed like that guy's like his butler or something, this white guy. Mm-hmm. But they, they show him coming in and going upstairs when, in the scene I was mentioning before where Nazarin's crying and doing all the hysterics right after that. And then he kind of, Rodriguez is like, all right, I'm done with you now. And he follows the guy up the stairs. Huh. Maybe I'm reading into I don't know. Much, but I was not sure why they showed that like that otherwise. And then later also, the one character is like, there's this really weird kind of sequence this is partially what I did like too about these three guy criminal guys like they're interesting guys but like when they're getting set to do the job at the end the the one guy's like reading this like muscle guy magazine and like pointing his gun at like the guy's packs are already yeah so I was like that's very homoerotic and then they cut right from that to the third guy he's like getting check-in from the shop and then he walks out to the street where the Jamaican guys like macking on some girls and the guy give, gives him, like, a weird look, which I didn't get at all. Like, he's giving him a weird look that he's, like, hitting on these women. So were you suggesting that this thing is, like, haze-coded? Where, like, the thing that happened... The thing that happened in this story, being, of course, surviving the Holocaust, is a... And happy Pride Month, everybody. Uh, a metaphor for having to live your entire life closeted? Is that what you're suggesting? I don't think I'm saying going that far with it, because I don't think Lumet or whoever wrote this was going that far with it. I mean, I think this is based on a book, but maybe there's something more in that. It may be actually a negative thing of, like, villains are, especially this time, coded as homosexual a lot of the times, you know? Right, right. Scar from so the Lion King, etc. It's probably more likely that. But at the same time, it was just done in these weird kind of little shots that I don't know if I'm reading. But yeah, happy Pride Month. Yeah, I wasn't really going anywhere with that. I just wanted—I guess wanted to know if you noticed or picked up on it. It doesn't seem like you did. Um, I guess I did. In retrospect, I—I—I I, I can't say that it was top of mind while I was watching it. And you said mentioned Hayes Code, which is actually interesting because with that cross-cutting scene, especially the fast-moving one, where the girl we talked about is like, she gets topless, and you see the, the nudity in this film, and it cuts like his wife seeing her the Nazis, all this stuff, and that's, you know, that's the whole scene, but this was really the first nudity in, like, a majorly distributed film uh, in the United States, yeah, and it was toward the end, and it's one of the things that brought the, helped bring the Hayes Code to the end. I read a whole book of that dealt somewhat with this fairly recently. That's so fucking funny. Can I tell you something? Yeah, go ahead. The one thing I remembered most about this movie was that when I watched it on TCM with my uh, father, I think, and, and maybe my brother... Uh, when when I was, like, 12 or 13, is my dad doing the thing that, like, dads have to do, especially uh, when they're trying to uh, pretend to raise you religious, is like, well, I have to put nudity in everything. Uh, it's just nothing for the plot. <laughs> Which is, I'm sorry for your father, but it's definitely, definitely not true at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it definitely was. I don't know about the plot, like, moving the plot forward, but it definitely had a... I'm just not... Yeah, I'm just never having that argument about, like, sex scenes or nudity and... Like, I'm not arguing with the Puritans about whether or not we can show people who are bad people or or we can show people who like to have sex in movies. I'm not doing that, so... But what... But... But this is the very first time. Yes, uh, and what happened basically is people are already pushing back on it, and this was going to, like, the courts and stuff. I don't remember if it was all the way to the Supreme Court. It may have been... And the Hays Code was just imposed by the industry itself. It wasn't, like, a government thing, but it was, like, you couldn't get distributed because the theaters wouldn't play. Right, it was, like, stop arresting us uh, and and, and investigating us for the idea that we may be communists and we will do this. And so, but the decision was made with this scene is, like, this couldn't possibly have any prurient interest like no one thinks this is like sexy like this is clearly for oh thing. no so that's was it that's like the decision on this one it's okay because of that but then of course if you have it for that reason where's the line drawn of like right you know so it went downhill quickly after that it was this wasn't the only thing obviously but there's pressure from a number of areas but yeah this was one of the main yeah for basically first I believe, unless I'm mistaken, first, like, new scene. And then the haze Code was gone by, like, two or three years after this came out. Uh, nice. Entirely. We did uh, a joke. Yeah. And then uh, one other thing I wanted to mention about this is the, the Quincy Jones score, uh, which I liked overall. It didn't... Sometimes it seemed a little incongruous with what was going on, but I don't know if you noticed this. The scene 
another the sex scene with that character we're talking about and North has not graphic or anything but when they're in bed or whatever they're playing this it's the Quincy Jones song that's in that's like the Austin Powers main song from the, yes the first I knew I did know <laughs> that. Dun, 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 dun. so that was very funny couldn't picture this ruined like, forever years later but anyway that yeah the pawnbroker yeah it's, it's a bit of a tough watch but ultimately fairly powerful film and, and it is it is very bleak it does not have any type of uplifting <laughs> ending or anything and i think that i'm just reading it was uh, looking at the um, wikipedia on this and i think it, it does appear that um, it was critics were fairly divided at the time it looks like because of that i think because of the bleakness or if it, the point of it maybe and uh yeah i don't yeah, if your beef was a, with a movie is that it's too bleak, we can't get along. That said, this isn't my favorite movie that we've watched together. Um, I did like it a lot more than uh, movies like fucking you're a, what is it, Lost Weekend. Oh, Lost Weekend, and your your usual whipping boy is uh, that Elia Kazan movie, yeah. yeah, starring Andy Andy Griffith. Well, both of them. Uh, what is that called? Facing the crowd. Yeah, yeah. It's a good movie, but anyway, Eric doesn't agree. Um, well, it, it does less of the thing that movies from uh, ancient times are prone to doing, which is have everything still like a stage play, and then have one character moralizing for six minutes. Um, it does less of that. Yeah, it's good. I like it. And uh, yeah, if it's we're doing Sydney, a late summer, I guess maybe we'll do Serpico down the line, and maybe we'll get into more Steiger summer sometime. There's so many asses. But what do you think for our next episode? Are we going to keep Summer of Sigourney going? I think we'd have to go probably back into making it the uh, the classic film yeah, version. Yeah, Because I don't think there's so. anything else recent. Unless now. you want to do a late Avatar to The Way of Water deep dive. Well, we might have to because we're not going to get three for a while. I just saw on Twitter today that yeah. three, four, and five are pushed back by two years each. Oh, all right, I, I got the Wikipedia up again here, and it says Variety considers Brock Peters the first actor to portray a confirmed homosexual character in an American film. And that's so they were doing it on purpose, okay. I guess so. I mean, again, this is Wikipedia. I don't know. If, I mean, there is a citation here for Variety, but I guess I would have to see that article to see what they're citing. But I, I guess, yeah, because I think, I don't know why else they, that's why it stood out to me, like, why else did they have that little part of the scene i couldn't think of any other reason yeah why did they do that why like it's just like queer code your villains because that's what people do or it could be i mean that's the uncharitable reading of it i guess it's just character the basic reading would be just fleshing out the character there's probably some thematic thing if it's that purposeful i don't Right. Well, I was thinking, is it like at the? Is it like uh, earlier in the movie when he says, "Like I don't hate him. I don't hate him because he's black. I hate him because I hate everyone." Which every eleven to thirteen year old boy uh, born between nineteen eighty and two thousand probably said at some point in their lives, and weren't really telling the truth. Yeah, that that's puzzling to me. I mean, I I, I like the movie, but that is puzzling to me. Hmm. I mean, maybe maybe it's. Like I said, this was based on a novel, so possibly it was yeah. delved more into there, and it was just a nod to that. I just don't that. have like a, I just don't have a great enough, like a, a a wide enough understanding of like historical cinema that like I don't like I, I don't know what that could have been a reference to if it was, you know. Yeah. Anyway, we don't have to dwell on that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and also one of the det- critical detractors was Pauline Kael, according to Wikipedia. Here. Fucking Pauline Kael, of course. And that's she's. Apparently going to be the uh, the topic of Tarantino's <laughs> final film, according to him. I heard that's so. not true. Oh, it's not true that it's about her, or that, or what do you mean? So the so the movie is called The Film Critic, mm-hmm. and it's it's a period piece, and everyone was like, Pauline Kael movie, Pauline Kael movie. Oh, well. uh, you know, red alert. Uh, but uh, he he has given interviews since saying that that's not true. Oh, but is it? I wasn't necessarily thinking it would for sure be her stated in all like a biopic or something, but like. I thought it's going to be based on her. Is that... Did he, did it should be about her. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, all right. So, and John Favreau said this favorite... Oh, no, I'm sorry. Steiger said this was his favorite film that he did. Two John Favreau oh. on our show. Never mind. 
It's like, that'd be interesting. All right, I got to stop looking at Wikipedia. We're wrapping up here. We'll, we, we'll talk about Sigourney Weaver's uh, ideas off pod, maybe, or unless you have something now, or uh, what are we looking out for in terms of newer ones? There's uh, uh, the new Wes Anderson joints coming out in a few days as of this recording. I was about to say, we've been basically eating good since uh, mid-April, right? Mm. Uh, now we've got Barbie and Oppenheimer on the same day. Uh, we've got Asteroid City coming out. July? We've got new Mission Impossible. Oh, yeah, Mission Impossible. I'm sure we won't do Mission Impossible. I think it's July 7th, yeah. On the pod, but we'll No, I just like it. Mission Impossible. Uh, same, same. I'll definitely see it. Yeah, we're eating good, finally. The really fallow first three and a half months of the year. Yeah, and I guess, though, those usually are. We're here. Oh, did you watch Boogeyman or any of those other horror ones? I haven't seen Boogeyman yet, but you know I'm going to. All right, well, enjoy that when you do get around to it. Everyone at home, I enjoy watching great films, watch films, you know, there's no reason not to. Maybe there is, but, you know, get cultured. Come on, guys. Watch black Please and white do films. do this with us. 50s. And a shout out to uh, Sigourney, wherever you are, you know, hope you're, hope you're in pre-production. Well, it might probably shut down due to various strikes, but I hope you got something in the pipeline and post-production maybe for us. More fucking Avatar. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's... That would have been filmed already, at least for our who knows. Well, anyway, that should do it. Stay subscribed to Brooklyn Rebound Network. Check us out on Drew's views on YouTube as well, anime reactions. And uh, until next time, we'll be out of here. Peace. On the way, the paper bag was on my knee. Man, I had a dreadful flight. I'm back in the USSR. Oddboys Productions.